The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get the team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus, drinkaware.co.uk. Hi, it's Alfie here, the presenter of The Ruck. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you about Funding Circle. Funding Circle backs small and medium UK businesses with simple, competitive business finance. They've supported over 90,000 British businesses with £12 billion in finance since 2010. So if you're looking to overcome challenges or push your business forward, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. And for that reason, they've teamed up with Saracens and England hooker Jamie George. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Ruckers, we are back with another extraordinary weekend of Six Nations Rugby to dissect. The majesty of France, the misery of England, the madness of events at Murrayfield, where Ireland defied all those injury setbacks to tee up a Grand Slam shot next Saturday in Dublin on St Patrick's weekend against England. And there was relief for Wales, who won the Wooden Spoon showdown in, in Rome. Now, joining us later to discuss whether Andy Farrell's men can seal that slam and to review just how well Keane Healy and Josh van der Fleer masqueraded as hookers will be Bernard Jackman, the former Ireland and Leinster hooker. In the studio, we have myself, Alex Lowe. We have Will Kelleher. Hello. Hello, Will. And down the line, because he's got coaching duties later, is Stephen Jones. Hello, Steve. Morning. Morning, Alex. Will. Talk us through your coaching commitments first up. You're you're updating your, your coaching qualifications? Yes, I am. And I've got to coach a team for six months, a proper team, um, so I can't name them because they don't want the publicity, but which will um, I will automatically draw, of course. But uh, today we're just going to sort ourselves out, see what replacements we got, who's up for it, who's not up for it, and then uh, we're going to take it from there. Steve, right. are they as good as um, old Belvedere under twelves, who Andy Farrell said they might have to draft in with all these injuries? Um, they're a lot older than old Belvedere <laughs> under twelves, so I think they probably are better, but. Um, they they uh, they love their rugby and um, I'm, I wouldn't say I love coaching because some of them are a bloody pain, but um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we've got so much to talk about on the Six Nations. We'll, we'll start, we have to start with England's record defeat by France. We'll, we'll head over to Rome and then, and then Bernard Jackman will join us to talk Ireland and their Grand Slam prospects. That is all coming up on The Ruck. Okay, Twickenham... Saturday afternoon, 10 minutes from the end, there are thousands of fans streaming out. It was We thought that the boos at the end of the South Africa game in the autumn were unprecedented, which I, they certainly are in my experience. I'd never seen that many people leave Twickenham early, as, as thrilled as they must have been by what they'd seen from France and Antoine Dupont and uh, Jonathan Dante, who I just thought was mega. They were so dejected, disgusted, disappointed by what they saw from England. Steve, you have the job on a Saturday afternoon of filing a match report 
live mm. on the final whistle. Your take was as much about the beauty of what France had had delivered as the beastly performance that we saw from England. How did you see it live, and how did you you come to the conclusion that this was this was also a, an occasion for a rugby fan to savour what they saw from from France as, as much as be be dejected from what they saw from England? I, I did, and I have to say I, I was really disappointed by the fans because even at the worst times, and we've seen together, the three of us, we've seen some pretty bad times. It, it, they haven't poured out like that, Alex. But I have to say that, um, first of all, I, I just felt sorry for the likes of Steve Borthwick. I mean, he's had no time at all. I still, I'm afraid, pin all the blame or 90% of it on the previous era. But then I'm thinking, look, we, 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 we're neutrals. We live in England, but we're neutrals. And we cannot start, in my opinion, with downing, uh, being a downer on England when we saw such magnificence. And, and what I thought it was, uh, the brand new French team, which got powerful forwards, but doesn't bicker, doesn't give away an avalanche of penalties and defends beautifully with almost like the Denny Chavez era where they played brilliant rugby as well. And it was it was a sublime combination of the old France and new France that, that I thought was absolutely magnificent. And to sign off with that one-phase try, glory France, before, and that is the impression I got. I don't know about you guys. That is the impression I st- still lose with me now. And God, Jonathan Dante, thank God he wasn't fully fit. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I was going to say on, on the back of that, Steve, was... Um, and I picked it out for Monday's Times and we'll do a bit more on it for the Monday more for time, time subscribers. But just the cleverness of two of France's tries was extraordinary. The first one, which happened in a minute and 30 seconds, um, it was a pass from Ramos that beat, I think, four different England defenders yeah. and sent Olivon into a channel between Willis and Lawrence, uh, where England were narrow. And I think if you pause the tape, you can see... I think there are nine England players honey-potted around a ruck and one pass beats four of them and then they're away. And Flamont's outside, then there's offload, offload, try. And then the last one, it's just a classic case of ID, as they'd say. So in the midfield, England have Jack Walker, the hooker, and Ben Curry, the flanker. And France produce a fairly simple but very well-connected move where they throw a pass out the back. Fiku comes in a nice short line to... Um, commit Smith and Farrell and it's an easy running on the outside and you just think it's just so well organised and collected together and actually the thing that we talked about before, well after the game was a lot of the stuff was England were overpowered Steve Borthwick was saying we're overpowered we didn't win the gain line we didn't dominate so did Jamie George so did others and that's actually what it looked like but it's such a weird thing sometimes stats because England had 20% more dominant carries than France they carried 248 metres within contact and France only 189. And they made more dominant tackles than France too. So actually, it wasn't them being overpowered. It was them being outthought and outfought. I think they were overpowered, but they're not at the, on the floor though. They, yeah. England seemed... For, for, for all, the, all the conversation before the game was England's selection of Marcus Smith at 10 and how they were in, intending to play with this positive, positive intent and try and, and get... Obviously, they have to, have to have a foothold up front and then try and be creative to get around what, what France were going to bring. It never even got to that because England never got that foothold because basically Sean Edwards did for England once again. Mm. He sits at his house just outside Perpignan watching all the top 14 games, studying breakdowns. That's one of his, his responsibilities. And on both sides of the ball, France dominated the collisions. Um, their ball was quick. 
England's ball was slow. Whenever England thought they were getting somewhere, Jonathan Dante pounced on it. That that was the core of, of this particular game. England's set piece, the line-out worked well, the scrum was, was fine. But the breakdown area, just that's where it all focused for England. They, they couldn't get anything going there. And that's where I think they were overpowered. But I wonder how much of that was felt like mentality more than yeah. than body weight. I mean, England, England had a heavier pack. So By 10 kilos, yeah. It's not about size. It's about... It was felt like it was about mentality. Mm. England felt like they had no energy or intensity. They felt it looked like they were they were meek at times from, from the first minute. From the first minute, literally from the first yeah. minute. Like I, if you, if anyone wants to go back and look at the tape on ITV, um, I think there's two occasions in the first ten minutes where England players are walking to breakdowns and walking off the defensive line, which is just totally unacceptable. And actually. It's one of those things, as much as you can have a game plan, as much as you can want to play wide and fast, which is what we were told last week by the England camp, the thing that they've also said from the start is that the fight is non-negotiable. And we thought we'd get that with an Ellis Genge captain team, that you'd see sort of all snorting and angry. And as much as they haven't had lots of time together and they sent their fly half away for a game rather than having him in camp, that was a tactical decision they made. You just thought that they would be fizzing and up for it. And you just, from the first minute, saw that they mm. just weren't. And that is a very strange situation to be in. Steve, I'll come to you now, but the, the other point that, that connects all of this is, yes, France dominated that those physical exchanges. And Steve, you're right, their execution was scintillatingly um, accurate, um, slicing England open um, beautifully. Whereas England's execution, even when they weren't under pressure, mm. was woeful. We sat next to each other, Will and I, just commenting on the just the lack of accuracy of you know. In that again, first couple of minutes, Van Portfleet gets dragged into a ruck. No one spots it. The ball sitting at the back. Vicky yeah. just comes around and picks it up. And careless penalties, loose passes. Some of that is a result of pressure. But it, it felt like the the picture you painted there, Steve, of of that sort of clean kill try where they scored it without a finger being laid upon them. England could could barely pass from one man to the next at times. Um, the, the the skill levels were down too. That's where that's where I felt the crowd reacted most when those horrible things where they made four or five, they just dropped the ball. I think that's where the crowd reacted. But I, I tell you what, no, no, we have paid tribute to France quite rightly, so we'll carry on. But I have to say that this thing about the the, the energy and and the power and the and the and the the resilience that we was meant to see didn't happen and it didn't happen from the front row upwards i think that conversation which we'll come to in a second is is fascinating because i'm not sure what options there are now that that point about mentality you just reminded me last week i had a um a, a long conversation with johnny wilkinson um over at Bracknell rugby club fascinating well, well done Alex. 45. No, it was, but uh, we talked one of the points that he has made in the past is invincibility if, if, if you if you get this sense of invincibility you stop exploring your potential and i put to him that maybe that's why france had 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 these wobbles at the start of this championship because they'd gone unbeaten for 18 months um they'd won the slam they were they had a perfect year last year. Was that why perhaps they just stop exploring their boundaries? And his point was he wanted to see how it affected them. And he said either this will rock their confidence and make them question who they are, or it will make them take pause and go, this is not who we are. This is not, we are wasting our talents if we if we scrape through home you know, wins against Italy. And I thought what we saw, and I think we'd sensed it coming out of their camp for a couple of weeks. Sean Edwards had been saying one or two things. I, I felt that this was a France team who came out determined to 
to reinforce to the rugby world who they are and how good they are. And they they were under pressure to do so. Whereas England kind of entered it almost as an opportunity, almost as a shot to nothing, let's try this. And that seemed to feed the the, the contrasting intensities of the, of the two teams. Here was a here was a France team who absolutely had to come and reinforce who they were. We haven't seen that level of intensity or desire or absolute sheer bloody-minded we have to go and perform today from England very often since the last World Cup. I think we saw it for half an hour in Brisbane on the summer tour after they'd been embarrassed the week before. And the Ireland game when Charlie Ozzie got sent off before they ran out of gas. Yeah. So after it, he got sent off. And yeah. maybe the end of the Sydney test when they... Courtney Laws led a, a ph- yeah. phenomenal goal, sort of goal line stand. We don't see that from England very no. much. It's, it's, it's felt comfortable. As you were talking about that Johnny Wilkinson stuff and the, the French attitude, that's exactly the challenge for England this week. Because, mm. and and we had it in the in the press area afterwards, where I think Ellis Gand and others mentioned, "Well, we're all going to get written off now and all that sort of stuff." And you go, "I think it's fair to say you deserve to be written off after being." by 50 at home like let's just get that one out for starters and also this is now a test of your resilience your mental fortitude and your attitude more than your skill they're all talented rugby players and I've said I remember saying this on the ruck around when Eddie Jones was at the end of his tenure and you look across that team and you go Lions players international hundred cappers you've got people who've won Champions Cups massive games in Europe You've got guys who've beaten New Zealand away in a, in a Lions team and they fundamentally don't know what to do when the going gets tough. They look soft sometimes, which is a hard thing to say about an international rugby player. That's harsh, but I think fair. There's been a long body of evidence to show that they don't like it up in England and they're very reactive. They need to be punched in the face before they respond and actually they sort of did that after half time. When Alex Mitchell came on, they went quick, 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 scored a try, but then they folded again. None of this is Steve Borthwick. None of this is Kevin mm. Sinfield. None of this is Nick Evans. And none of this is Richard Cockerell. This is the players. These players are very good players and they've been far too average for far too long. And frankly, if I was in that England crowd and I'd paid £185, like we had a message from a man called Dave McCulloch who said to us earlier... I left after 62 minutes, £158 for the privilege. Half the ground had the same disgusted reaction. No country has had the resources we do, and we've had one Grand Slam in 20 years. The motivational thing is interesting because we can all name people, say games we've seen this year. I mean, I've seen Gloucester play for 18 minutes as if half crazed and, and brilliant. Saracens too, even someone like the Ospreys, you can see people really, really eyeballs out, sweating with the passion of it. Where is the passion of playing for England, as Will as Will suggests? I just didn't see it. And the, the the first two hits were good, but then they sat back. And you think, come on, boys, who's gonna in the end, you know, you'd rather someone come in like a crazed fool and be red carded because it looked at least it looked like he cared. Well, there's there was one, no way anyone in England were going to be carded because they didn't care enough. The, and I don't, we don't condone this at all, but there's one of our number on, on Saturday night in the press area who's just like, why don't they just have a fight with someone? Like, come on, just show a bit of heart. And, it, and look, we're not saying they're cowards. We're not saying that they're terrible rugby players and we're not saying that they should all be dropped and it's all terrible and everything's gone. And we're also not calling for Steve Borthwick to be sacked or anything like that. 
But I think there's a fundamental issue here where England consistently don't turn up. And that's full stop. I, I think there's a wider... I, mean, I tried to write about this this morning, but you know, Steve Borthwick had to think long and hard and did think long and hard about whether to take the job at the time that it was on offer to him, two months before a Six Nations, nine months before a World Cup. In the end, he, he took it, I think, out of a sense of, of duty and opportunity, but he knew what he was inheriting. It was, there was, that there would be no quick fix for it. And, and the reason I, I think that is you, you have to look at the landscape and the structures below the senior England men's team. Why is it that Ireland are, are leading the way? Well, Bernard Jackman will, will give us some insight further, but we know we know it's because they have an aligned system. It's a system that works. Now, that's a different... England can't employ that system, but France employ the same system as England, and they've been a basket case for a long time. And Bernard Laporte is not currently the man you'd hold up as, <laughs> as a paragon of virtue. But one of the great things that he did for France was align the club game with the interest of the national team way better than it ever had been before. And they are all pulling in the same direction. Their pathways are evidently flourishing. The, the RFU England pathways are, are desolate at the moment. England used to be guaranteed to make the semi-finals, finals of under-20 World Cups. They now don't. They got, they got thumped on Friday night, the under-20s. The under-20s with potential, those players now struggle for game time because the, the premiership system has no money. There, there isn't room for big enough squads, but they also can't go out on loan. I was talking to, to coaches earlier in this season about where are all the tight head props. And one of the issues is that clubs can't afford to carry enough tight head props to send the youngster out on loan for matches. That youngster stays in camp and travels as the as a travelling reserve and never plays. There's a whole issue here below the senior England men's team. And I think it felt to me, as I drove home on Saturday night and woke up on Sunday morning, that, that what we've seen, not just on Saturday, but over the, the course of the last few years, that it's indicative of, of a fractured, dysfunctional system below it. And I think the next professional game agreement which comes in in 24 has to completely redraw yeah. the whole situation it's going to need creative thinking it's going to need innovation it's going to need some difficult decisions it's going to need some humility from certain people in power and within english rugby to to accept that them remaining in absolute power doesn't actually help i'm sorry i, I, I would just make one point there though that that is sort of along the lines you suggest, but also isn't. At some stage in the pod today, you're going to ask Will and, and I, and, and then you give us your own views on who England should pick for the weekend, okay? Mm. Now, you'd think, right, there'll be... The, the, do you know what? I cannot think of any real pressing candidates. And the reason for that is Eddie Jones picked something like 130 England players in various squads. He brought them all in. It's more than 10 per club. And we know nothing about them because he dropped them before they proved themselves. And you take some, like Adam Radwan, whether you like him or not, we never really found out. You take props, Ben Harris or Wasps, Tom West or Wasps. Uh, we never found out. They came in, they were given the, the status of apprentices, then kicked out again. And there is a whole mass of people out there who we do not know about so we can't put them in the team because we don't know we suspect they're better than some of the players here but because of eddie jones we don't know the the, the couple of points i wanted to make on the back of that is so when we're looking for solutions two points could this result be england's version of france's 44-8 defeat at twickenham in 2019 
where they just went, right, that's the worst it's going to get. DuPont and Tomac next week, and we're sticking with this young team. We're going to have a crack at the World Cup, not expect too much, made a course final, unlucky not to be not to beat Wales, and we're going to build for 23. And I know Ruck listeners are going to scream at us and go, oh, I can't talk about World Cups ahead because that's all, what we've been saying about Eddie Jones. You can't look too far ahead. But I think we're at the point now where it's a bit like, well, that's the bottom. So how do you build from here? But the second point I was going to make is, if you look at the, the good teams around the world, they're built on a one very good international uh, club side. Sorry, So it's blindingly obvious, but Toulouse dominate the France team, Leinster dominate the Ireland team, the Crusaders dominate the New Zealand team. South Africa, clearly very different because all their players play all over the place. But one of the fundamental problems that England have had is that their dominant team were cheating and got relegated, Saracens. Eddie Jones admitted himself that he didn't deal with that very well. They've then had a team that have won the league in Exeter who have fallen off a cliff. They've had a team that have won the league in, in Harlequins, which was a complete kind of Hollywood shot to nothing thing that kind of came from nowhere. And he had a Leicester team that did have a bit of a grounded base to it, but was very limited and snuck in. So who do you build your team around? Mm. Who's the English? Yeah, but that's but that's the other thing, because then, then you look at the team for the weekend and you go, the only club partnerships out there were Ellis Genge and Carl Sinclair, who have been playing together for six months. I know they've played a lot together for England. You've got Jamie George and Atoji for a bit of line-out, but him and Chesham, not a club partnership. Ludlam, um, Willis and Dombrant, not a club partnership. A bit of Smith and Dombrant, but not playing in the way they do for Quinns. Slade and Lawrence, not a club partnership. Stewart and Watson have been playing together for a matter of months because Watson's been so injured at Leicester. Malin's not a club partnership with anyone. Yeah. So like, It's all a total... <clears throat> patchwork quilt to, of messes so to answer your point is this is this the France is this where France were in the Six Nations um, 2019 I thought England already reached that point at yeah. the end, at the end yeah. of November and I do feel that Borthwick is having to use he's having to learn on the fly here it depends whether you want to be constructive or critical about how he's going about it is he having to, to feel his way through game after game to work out what the, the identity of his team will be because as Steve says there are so many players there's always an argument to pick somebody else. Mm. And he needs to understand the identity of his team. He also needs to understand what happens if I lose somebody. So Gary Ringrose with Ireland, yeah. knocked out, cannot play next week. If that happens at a World Cup to Owen Farrell, what does he do next? He does need to try and... Mm. And he's trying to understand all these things on, on the fly. And I think he does have from us, and I, and I hope from the supporters, a licence to... Nobody's, nobody will defend what happened on Saturday. I also appreciate... But we're not blaming him for it. That's what we're saying. The situation that he is in. Which leads us, I guess, Steve, to to the question that you've raised a couple of times. What do you do? What does Steve Borthwick do to this England team in six days to go and try and compete in Dublin? First of all, first of all, he doesn't do what Barnsley said this morning. He has got one game to, to to erase some of the awful memories of the weekend. It doesn't matter... He has got to find ways and he's got to find personnel to engage Ireland and make them worried. It doesn't matter if they never play for England again. He's got to go out there against a slightly weakened Irish team and he's got to start reviving the the spirit and the sense of devil by stuffing it up Ireland, even if they lose on Saturday. But also, secondly, which is the future thing, I had a long chat or I had a chat with Steve Borthwick the other day 
and we both agreed 100% that they must have A fixtures so that we can sort out this undercard. Mm. Uh, they must have A fixtures, and all the other countries want them as well. And until that comes back, England will always be swimming in a huge pool and full of sharks. So the, the, this is this will be fantasy world because Steve Borthwick has named a, a training squad for this week, and I'm sure none, none of the names that you're thinking of, Steve, will be in it. If you could name one player, who would you want to bring in? If, you, if you're an Irish centre, the replacement to Ringrose, who would you not want to mark in a one-off frantic game on Saturday? To Ilagi. Yeah. Well, he, I think he is in. He, I think he will play. I'd be amazed yeah, if he doesn't. He, he's got Especially with Lawrence out, yeah. And I know he's not in the squad, but look, with the greatest respect, we now know that England haven't got an international number eight, okay? Mm. The one who can be it for half an hour is Billy Vunipola. And that would stop Ireland in their tracks. They've got to find a way to beat up Ireland in certain phases. And even if Ireland comes strong with five late tries, they've got to put themselves back on the map this week with physicality and the passion, which, as Will said, was missing on the weekend. So I, I, I think that Billy situation is is fascinating because you're right, he's probably a test player for... You know, he, could, he could give it hard for half an hour. But but I think Don Brandt has been... He was just out-muscled. He was out, outclassed on, on Saturday. And, and there were times when he didn't seem up for the fight, which is the biggest worry f- for me. Otherwise, the best number eight, the best English number eights are both playing in France. Mm. Yes. Um, t- Tom Willis at Bordeaux Begler, who has been on the fringes of this England setup, but not actually quite been called in. Zach Mercer carving up for Montpellier, who is not eligible. Surely he comes straight in in the summer. You, you'd think by the time yes. we get to the summer, Tom Willis... And Zach Mercer will both be in a wider World Cup training squad. I just have a feeling that he, he'll he'll go full throwback to 2019 and and go Ford Farrell to Alangi for, mm. for for Dublin. Steve Borthwick sees real benefits in it, real merits in it. And who are the most co- cohesive partnership in English rugby and have been for mm. almost ever? Ford and Farrell yeah. know each other since they were kids. Uh, and I, 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 I the only negative I would say to that is that. George Ford still has hardly played that much in seven months. Yeah, a step to a Test match is a massive one against the the best team in the world. That's the argument against doing it for sure. That that, that George Ford is still finding his feet in rugby, having literally uh, after yeah, his ha- having hardly off, played yeah. since a re- since a horrific injury. So but, that's but the argument against it. But... He doesn't have to play. Look, let's be fair. Halfbacks. God knows. God bless Van Portfleet. God God knows. Was he playing for instructions? He he bent down with his hands on the ball. And he didn't lift it for five seconds once. Mm. Now, again, it's it's you might say it's desperate measures. If anyone's seen Bristol in the last two games, they would know that Harry Randall provides a massive challenge because he's like an electric eel. You never know which way he's going to go. He's got a rapid service. Okay, the England centres on the weekend. By the time it went from Van Portfleet to Smith, who we all know he's a poor defender and a poor kicker. But by the time he got the ball, did a goose step, stopped, started again, and then gave the ball out. No, there was no shortage. Oh, sorry, there was a shortage of quick ball, but England did have quick ball, and he buried it six foot under. You've got to change the halfbacks, but I wouldn't have Ford. I'd have Farrell and um, and Harry, Harry Randall, definitely, even though he's not in the squad, so we're talking slightly superfluously. <laughs> and i bring For- George Ford on, for the last 20 minutes, when he's acclimatised, instead of Farrell, not in the centre. Can I make three final little points? Because I know we've got to move on. Um, to counter Steve, 
Marcus Smith is a better goal kicker and has been consistently the known foul. That's just a fact. Um, he is Sorry, in the last a... two weeks, you're talking about yeah, one no. of the greatest well, no, no, the goal stats kickers are of all that time. Smith's kicking percentage is better than Farrell's. And that's so you just... want Smith to stay in the team no, no, as goal kicker? No, I'm not saying that. I'm literally just saying that that fact that you said was wrong, but that's fine. Um, the, the other one is that he also, his defence is, I mean, it might look different, but in terms of purely tackling, is about 1% or 2% less than Ford and Farrell, which is not that bad. Um, second thing I was going to say is that the nightmare of playing Ford Farrell too long is that you change midfield yet again, mm. um, which isn't great. And then the last thing, which is a wider point, is with all this, Steve Borthwick needs some help. He's got a very young, inexperienced coaching team, and it's going to get even more inexperienced and younger when Richard Wigglesworth comes in for and Richard Cockrell leaves. He needs some help. He needs some rugby IQ in the building. Right. We could discuss England-France all day. Um, and I think it was right that we started with with praise for France, just as Steve started his his match report in, in the same vein, because a lot of what they did was outstanding. Coming up on the ruck, we will talk to, to uh, Bernard Jackman about Ireland, Grand Slam chasing Ireland. But first, let's just have a, a, a quick chat, Steve, about, about Wales and Italy. I think most of us felt that this was going to be a tighter game than it turned out to be. That the pressure was on Wales. Some senior players were were dropped for this game. There was no no Dan Bigger, for, for example, and they they produced their best performance of, of the championship when they really had to because a wooden spoon would have been grim. Yeah, it's obviously nice to avoid the wooden spoon, but um, I think I look at it the other way. It, it's all very well to say Italy are better, which they are. It's a shame that Capuazzo didn't play, but there's a hell of a difference between. Uh, being a contender, a genuine contender to win the match and to actually win it. I always thought Wales would win that game uh, because it it almost became too enormous for Italy. So if, you know, if we don't win this, we're at square one. So I, I wouldn't go in apart from saying Reese Webb played well and that um, Adam Beard finally stirred himself. I wouldn't say that, um, you know, it was glory, glory Wales or anything like that or anything good for the future. But I did think they'd win it and and they did. But we are talking about the wrong end of the table, Alex, as you know. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not suggesting it's glory, glory. More the fact that maybe they've bottomed out. Maybe this this weekend was an opportunity for for them to just at least kind of get get some kind of sort of something positive to to, to take from it to to talk about yeah, def- some definitely. some notion that maybe they can bottom out of this. De- de- definitely, but but of course they got the, the the big match for Wales this year. Not even taking place yet. It's in a fortnight's time in a. In a committee room where mm. the uh, the the old codgers who've wrecked the game, and I mean wrecked the game, murdered the game, taken money from it for doing nothing, um, will be up, and uh, they, we need a seventy five percent vote to get rid of them. That's the most important thing. Once that's done, um, and they can bring in some people who know a little bit about rugby, uh, that that's that's the real that's the the point when it changes, Alex. If it doesn't change, God knows they might as well they might as well lock up and turn out the lights. I guess. So, I guess real, um, real parallels there, Steve, with what we were discussing earlier with with England and, and Gatland. As I as I put in my piece today, actually, it, the success that he managed to bring to the national team for a, a decade or so um, papered over the cracks of all the chaos underneath it, and now it yeah. feels like the state of the, the men's national team is is indicative of, of the, the fractured structure below it in Wales as much as it is in England. And I, I guess the hope the hope is for people like, like yourself with, with roots in the country and in the, in the sport in that country that, that the, the necessary change can can be forced through and maybe that that can just help 
turn the tide a bit and, and, and bring some hope back. But coming up now, we're going to talk to someone who's in a great mood and in great spirits about the sport in his country, Bernard Jackman. We're going to catch him just before he heads off to the horse racing in Cheltenham. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get the team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18plusdrinkaware.co.uk The Ruck Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Funding Circle and Saracens, British and Irish Lions and England hooker Jamie George is with me to explain how Funding Circle are supporting small and medium-sized UK businesses because, Jamie, you, as well as being a rugby player, are also a small business owner. Yeah, I own a business with uh, a good school friend of mine, Rhys Carter. It's called Carter and George. We're a physiotherapy business. Uh, We've been up and running for about six years now and sort of our strap line is delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. If you're looking to improve different parts of your business or hire talent with extra know-how, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Jamie, you want to do the sign-off for us? Absolutely. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how I'm growing my business backed by Funding Circle. Joining us now on the ruck from uh, Dublin before he heads over to the Cheltenham Festival, what a week this will be for Ireland, is Bernard Jackman, the former Ireland hooker. Bernard, thanks for joining us. No, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Big week is right. Hopefully we can back a few winners in Cheltenham and we can finish off the Grand Slam on, on Saturday in the, in the Aviva. But uh, yeah, exciting. They've, they've set up a, a wonderful party weekend for, for all Irish sports fans. Let's let's head up to Murrayfield. What, what did you make of that performance? It, it needed resilience it needed grit it needed Ireland to to overcome hurdles that, that don't get thrown at, at many teams getting coming down to Josh van der Fleer throwing into the line out and Keane Healy winning scrum penalties at, at hooker what what was your overall assessment of of that performance and really what it said about Ireland oh, look I think it was incredible at, at half time I was kind of annoyed and frustrated and scared about the World Cup draw because I thought Scotland had gone toe-to-toe with Ireland and I was saying how can we have Scotland you know a resurgence Scotland and South Africa and Ireland in the same group with only two to come true and I thought we were going to lose the game you know seeing the injuries we had Doris has been outstanding for us he went off first then Dan Sheen um, and then we lost Ian Henderson and then obviously I could see that Ronan Keller, sorry, uh, was struggling with his shoulder and I didn't think he was going to come back out after half time. So at that stage, you had to fancy Scotland. You know, they were they were starting to find holes in us defensively and they, they would have had all the momentum. I couldn't see us being able to win a scrum or line out in the second half without, without a hooker. And how it unfolded for Farrell, bar maybe getting a bonus point, which we had the chance to get, I think it's probably the perfect scenario because... You know, he's talked about wanting to be tested, wanting to to find out how we cope with pressure, how we deal with adversity. We were right in the middle of it on on Saturday, uh, you know, in front of a big crowd in Murrayfield against a good team. We found a way out of it. And actually, once we got that try for James Lowe, I went two scores ahead when Sexton converted it. 
there was only really one team in it. You know, we put the put the foot down, and and he's he's going to be so obviously he's not happy with the injuries we've had. But in terms of building a squad, and I suppose creating that sense of calmness that we're going to have to face as 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 we go on, because sometimes things are going to go against us, whether it's red cards, yellow cards, or or injuries like what happened on Saturday. I think. Uh, it couldn't have been better, really. You know, Barr, as I said, potentially having that bonus point. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but he's he's built an unbelievable squad. He's he's so impressive. And I think he's not just, he has the charisma, but I think tactically, by the people he's brought in with him, Simon Easterby, Paul O'Connor, Mike Cass, etc. Ireland are tactically very smart as well, um, which you have to be. You know, you can't be just about scale or power. You need to have a, ba- a balance of, of lots of different factors. To, to take us into the challenge that, face Josh van der Fleer and, and Keane Healy there's there's two opposite skill sets there neither of which are, are, they're comfortable with it, it it struck me that when England were at Murrayfield a couple of years ago they, they were, were without a hooker and had no plan was it Joe Marler Joe Marler did it Joe yeah. Marler ended up having to throw in the line out um, Finn Russell could could see that exploited it and, and England collapsed because of it um, Ireland had, had the planning that has clearly gone into these really extreme scenarios where whereby Keane Healy can come in and, and be comfortable, not only comfortable, but be part of a, an Ireland pack that, that wins penalties. And Josh Flanderfleer was his number six from seven, five from six, throwing in at the line out. Uh, really, really impressive depth of planning, but also skill set. You, That was your position, uh, Bernard. Just talk through how yeah. tough could, that is for them. Look, I've been spending the last... Since I retired, I've been telling everyone how hard it was to play hooker, and, <laughs> you know, how hard it was, how... How, how hard it was to throw in a specialist position and, and uh Arkeen Healy for getting to tap the ball for that quick oh, yeah. tap, which is a very which is a very specialist skill as the hookers are mastered. I, I think I, I'll have to keep quiet. Uh, look, it was brilliant. Josh Van der Fleer, he, he used to get given out to in the academy um, because in the gym, in between sets, he used to like, practice with the hookers. Um, so obviously, we're very lucky that he's someone who, who saw that there was potentially an opportunity um, to add value to himself and the team by being able to throw. So the advantage of that is if your hooker gets sin-binned and there's no scrum and you haven't made a replacement, he can obviously do it in an emergency and he's possibly thrown in once or twice in a 10-minute period in a game. But to have to start the second half of a test match that's 8-7 and be told, you know, you're out there and you're thrown for the for the game is 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 incredible. And he threw very well. I think Keane Healy, on our team sheet, he's marked as being able to play loose-head hooker or tight-head. And I think that's, that's invaluable because... Obviously, if uh, if he can't go in as hooker, you have to go uncontested, and we have to go down to fourteen men. So, like I've been maybe wondering, is Keane Healy still worth a place in the bench because he's keeping a, he's ahead of a guy called Dave Kilcoyne, who's a specialist loose head, who's very very dynamic. But when you have a player who can cover those three, yeah, and you have a set of scenarios that we, we had at the weekend, it, it's invaluable. And actually, as you said, you know, it wasn't just that we had to go down to fourteen men. We didn't have to go down to 14 men. We actually won scrum penalties with Keane Healy there, which maybe was played a big role in, in, in turning the game. Um, Van der Fleer, after the game, was annoyed himself for missing those two. Uh, and I, but he genuinely would be. He's that kind of guy. You know, he's not playing to the crowd. And, yeah, it's it's phenomenal. But apparently, Keane Healy knew his role. What he had to do was a loose head prop and a tight head prop because he was covering both of those. And there was a chance with Andrew, with Ty Furlow just coming back from injury, Tom O'Toole being a... A quite inexperienced tight head and he may have had to go in a tight head but he said he didn't and he was kind of saying he didn't actually do, learn his role about what he had to do as a hooker in terms of the the patterns and the power plays so O'Connell grabbed him at half time and they went through all those scenarios and if you remember Ronan Keller actually stayed on the field for a little while even though he couldn't throw he, he was running around a place with one arm and that gave Healy an extra five minutes to be able to get on the field go in hooker 
and know what he was supposed to do defensively and attack wise, which is it's just brilliant. I mean, um, you know, the the ability to have that clarity of thought. Bernard, all all that you're talking about there, to me it just is a, a fantastic demonstration of the levels that Ireland are at because as we mentioned with the England-Scotland situation last year, I, I would imagine that if that scenario had happened to England, they would have completely collapsed and they wouldn't have known what they were doing. They wouldn't have had a plan. They wouldn't have known who was throwing in. They wouldn't have had someone else to play hooker or at least do it well. And it's one of those things because you can't blame Steve Borthwick for that perhaps because he's had four four games. It just shows the time spent together, that cohesion word that we always talk about, and also that sort of now, that streetwise thing that Warren Gatlin's Wales teams always used to have is that kind of just test match experience and knowing what to do. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, it's it's phenomenal. And we have, look, we have a lot of people like Sexton, Conor Murray, um, who've been around a long time um, and understand, I suppose, what you need to do in, 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 in those situations. Even I taught Sexton, I don't know if you heard him under F Mike, you know, for that quick throw in that Ireland scored a try off yeah. was called back. He like what he said to Luke Pierce was, uh, "I want this to be on the record, you know that I'm that I'm questioning this. It's just it's just a subtle way of saying things. Whereas you saw Scotland, they got penalised twice, you know, ten metres for back chat, you know. And, and it's not to be on end all, but the reality is, if we're to win this Grand Slam, you know, which we we put ourselves in a position to do it, it's all those little things added together. And I think Farrell, deserves, he's a rugby league originally, but wow, he's he, he's proven to be a uh, a phenomenal head coach. This is his first head coach role, I think, in his own right. And uh, what he's done with this team is exceptional. It's such an intangible, isn't it? Like, How do you foster street smarts? Because we've said for years, Alex, that we see a team when wearing white shirts a lot that don't have any nows or any streetwise ability. Where the Saracens players do when they play for their own team and some of the other club players do for their own teams. But when they wear England shirts, they don't look like that at all. And it was, as I said before... Wales's team under Warren Gatlin the first time around sort of 2013 to 2019 they had that in spades didn't they and this Ireland team clearly has it I, I don't know how you foster that where does that come from Bernard might be able to help us I don't know how do you grow smarts it's such a funny old thing to to think about Look, I, I think the fact yeah I think the fact that we're all aligned um so I'll, I'll be honest in the in the development system pathways here whether it's schools or youths there is a lot of focus on tactical uh, understanding development so you know 16 17 year olds whereas in some countries it's about you know whether they're quick or whether they're really powerful we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that they understand the game uh, and then you go into provinces where i think the coaching is is good there's never any scandals or distractions if you know what i mean so I, like when, when the stuff about wales and the welsh players contracts came up like I remember just saying to somebody when I played for, for Leinster or Connacht, bar one, two thousand and two, there was a bit of a uh, a chance that Connacht might be made um, extinct and only go with three provinces. But since then, any rugby player in Ireland, when they go in on a Monday morning and put their bag into their locker, all they think about is getting better. There's no real crisis in the game or or, or fear. There's not really a high turnover of of players. So if you're doing your job for your province you'll probably get renewed. You know, you probably don't want to go play anywhere else um, because you're playing for your home province to a large extent. You have a chance of winning silverware. The facilities, the coaching, the environment is good. And when you have all those things that are geared towards helping you just get better as a player, I think that helps then. You start to actually look at the the next layer. It actually just helps the players be able to get better. 
But Bernard, um, you, you, you've got a very, very odd sort of mental approach to, 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 to this game on the weekend. England had just lost by 50. Uh, how do Ireland approach that? Is it is it just to imagine that they're playing the All Blacks or something like that? Because otherwise, when, if anyone saw England, you'd be forgiven for thinking, blimey, this is going to be easy. Yeah, I think it's the worst possible scenario for Ireland because, <laughs> you know, it, it, you have to you have to try and, I suppose, create the sense of fear, um, yeah. which obvious... You know, logic says no because of how poor they were against France. But realistically, I think you look at that team that England can put out. You, you give, I think, you give Bortwick a, a joker card, and you say, "Look, that's not how England are going to be under Bortwick. They're they're certainly not going to be um, as poor physically. You would think defensively, you know, and you start to prep for that. And and Steve Bortwick teams are normally hard to break down, and you have to be smart tactically. Um, so Ireland will be prepping for for that. The fact that they might play a lot of there uh, might be a lot of balls being kicked onto them, um, how they deal with that, how they exit when they play, etc. How ambitious they want to be. I I think they'll be able to they'll be able to prepare for what I think will come. I think the England have to be better. I mean, England can't come to Dublin and just lie lie down like they did sure. against France, or it's it's going to be very difficult to to bounce back. I know they've got a soft World Cup draw, but if they come and, and put in a tight performance like they did last weekend. It would be horrendous for them uh, as coaches, individuals, fans, and I just don't see it happening. To be honest, like uh, I don't know what happened last week, but I think England are are better than that, and we'll be better than that this week. Can I, can I ask you about your position, your your old position up front? Um, it, Ireland lately, I absolutely have always loved Furlong because I think that. That's the sort of player who used to be around in the game, but now he's he's back. At, he, uh, now he's back. They're back in in his in his shape. I mean, he's a magnificent rugby player as well as well as a, a scrummager. Also, you're talking about pressure being on Healy because someone's coming through. Uh, there's lots of hookers there. Just interesting. Does this all date back to the sort of Greek uh, Greg Feek era where you decided as a country, look? We're not going to go down the, the slippery slope here. We're going to go back to scrummaging. We're going to have big, hard scrummaging forwards. Yeah, Steve, you're spot on. We had uh, you, you. You've been around long enough, like me, to remember crisis in Irish rugby. I mean, we we spent the best part of eight or nine years uh, praying that John Hayes would get up out of bed on a match day morning fit, and yeah. then it was Mike Ross after that. And if either of them were out, I mean, you know, it was good night. So Greg Feet came in, and rather than just be scrum coach for Ireland. He oversaw a front row development plan where they got a lot of coaches. Look, at scrum coaches and scrum geeks were a unique breed. We're not falling off trees. So, um, and often like clubs with lack of resource, etc., won't have a specialist scrum coach or didn't. So yeah. what they did was they realized that the provinces could only coach the players that they had in their in their you know professional setups. And rather than just spend all the time with them, they actually educated and trained up a bunch of scrum people who are passionate about the scrum around the country. They then started to do it, do the hours on a Monday night, Tuesday night, into schools, etc. Coaching and looking for potential front rowers. It's a little bit hard to do because at the schools level here, you can only push a metre and a half, right? So yeah, there's certain yeah. teams who will actually put a flanker in at scrum. So the, the, the traditional pathway of props was starting to, to dry up to a certain extent. And by having all these, these eyes and ears and scouts and coaches out there in, in club land, in school land, um, working with young props or, or young hookers has has been massively beneficial. And and it sounds again, it sounds so obvious, you know, most like, but we had a guy called Greg Feek who was a very good at what he did with Ireland. But I think what he did, you know, the rest of the weeks 
um, and weekends where he ran these courses mm. has has made sure his legacy has lasted as it lasted him, and hopefully will will last a long time. Bernard, you're you're heading off to to Cheltenham now. When you head when you arrive back in Dublin on Sir Patrick's weekend for a Grand Slam game against England, what will the mood be like around the city, around the stadium? Is it is it anticipation? Is it excitement? Or is there a, a level of anxiety because of that injury list that, that you sustained at, at Murrayfield? What, what do you think the the, the, the sense will be uh, among Irish rugby fans and, and, and around the squad? Yeah, look, I think the injuries will obviously be talked about all week, but I think this Irish team have the trust of the of the Irish fans. I think they've, they've worked hard to deserve that. Um, if it's anything like France, I mean, France was obviously Ireland, uh, number one, V2 in the world. I think 10,000 French fans came over. It was just phenomenal, you know, from the day before, morning of the game, day of the game. And obviously, this is St. Patrick's again. England always travel. English fans always travel. Um, we might be a bit hungover after Cheltenham and Paddy's Day. Uh, we might take a while to get going. But I think the atmosphere is um, is going to be electric. Sexton obviously has a chance to pass out. Ron Nogara is a Grand Slam. I mean, it's the first time. We've only won three Grand Slams, I think, in history. And we've never won one at home. You know, um, and the fact that we're playing England, a team we respect uh, massively, um, you know, it's St. Patrick's weekend. It's just, you know, the stars have, have aligned perfectly. And, you know, hopefully now we can we can we can uh, maximise that and, and, and get a win. I think you'll be fine, Bernard. That 20 years ago, the England team were quite a lot better than they are this this year. I think that 03 side that were also on for a slam and one one. I mean. Slightly different, I, w- I would suspect. Yeah, it is, but I, I, I do believe. I, I, I don't. I don't know what you guys think. You know more than I do about English rugby, but I just don't think that was a true reflection of of that team at, at, at Twickenham. But unfortunately, you know, um, that's the one that's in our mind now. And and if they play like that, uh, there's only going to be one result. Right, we we need to let you head off to the airport, but you can't go without giving us your big Cheltenham tip for the week. Long pause. I'm a, <laughs> I, I'm a, I, I'm going with experts. I, I have to text you. I honestly don't. Are you going for the racing or are you going for the Guinness? <laughs> no, uh, no, I go for both. But I, I, I uh, just about I just about get away with giving tips for, about rugby. So um, I'm going to leave it to the experts um, uh, and and wait for them to tell me what the back. Fair play, brilliant. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Thanks for your guys. insights. It's been fascinating. Great to have you on, Bernard. Cheers, Bernard. That was great chatting to Bernard, wasn't it? The insight he gave into the development of the front row, apart from everything else, I thought was was, was fascinating. Um, guys, how do we see this unfolding this week? Is it are, are there any surprises in store? Will the will the occasion, will the pressure get to Ireland, or is it going to be a cakewalk for them to the Grand Slam? Steve, what do you think? Uh, I think Ireland will win. I don't think England will concede fifty because I don't think Ireland will be in that quite that sort of shape. And it doesn't matter what you think, you know, it is the last game and they'd be slightly tired. But I'd be surprised if it's not a margin of 30, guys. I don't know what you think. Well, yeah, Ireland are going to win the Grand Slam. I don't think they're the sort of team that are going to succumb to the pressure. I think, if anything, it'll galvanise them that they've got the home crowd behind them on St. Patrick's weekend and all that comes with that. Um, I think England will show far more because they have to. Um, And I think... They will take a sort of respectful ten point, fifteen point defeat. Like mm. we can't expect them to win, um, and it'd be absolutely extraordinary if they were to get a result, which I don't think they will. But I don't think they'll get hammered um, because if they go 
two thrashings in a row, then there's some serious questions about them, aren't there? Yeah. No, I think the thing that, that I've, that's impressed me, and reflecting back on what I said about my conversation with Johnny Wilkinson about teams that and it, it, it applies to individuals as well as teams, you've got to keep exploring. You've got to keep finding new ways to get to, to improve. And I think one of the things that, that Farrell has done so well with this Ireland team, and I think maybe a couple of the defeats they had last year actually helped because they finished the, the year world number one, but they lost a couple. I think he's kept them driving forward and the way they dealt with all the setbacks. You know, they've got Josh van der throwing in the line-outs and Johnny Sexton is so confident he's kicking penalties to touch and inviting <laughs> yeah. those situations. That yeah. That's the streetwise stuff we were talking yeah, about yeah, earlier. Yeah. That's the confidence. That's the depth of where they are. They're striving constantly um, at the moment to, to, to keep evolving, to keep exploring where their potential is, to, um, to, to quote Johnny. And I think it... It applies to them and, and they would deserve to win the Grand Slam because they have been consistently the best team in this championship. Rugby's mentality monsters. Indeed, indeed. Right, we need to round off this week's episode of The Ruck with the god or goddess of the week. Uh, Steve, I'll come to you first. Have you got any thoughts? Very difficult between Marcus Smith and uh, Mark Evans, actually, because they both make so, so magnificent. Mark Evans is a great uh, rucker for us and his team, Fiji and Drua, uh, uh, on the weekend, and a magnificent victory over the Crusaders. Unfortunately, he's far too small and far too stroppy to be a god of the week. So I'm going for a big man, Cyril Bay. He epitomised everything that was good about France. He carried the ball. He scrummaged for his life. He's huge, monstrous, and would make a great panto villain. So he's my panto villain and god of the week, Cyril Bay of Toulouse <laughs> and uh, France. Oh well, uh, uh, I respect that nomination greatly. I think brilliant for Mark, who's, who's, a, who's a friend of ours, and we all we all like and and respect enormously the, the job he's no, done. We don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, Will and I do in the studio. Um, he's gone down to 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 be the chief executive of Fiji Drua, who had a couple of real narrow results last season. And to win at home in the way they did, if, if you if you get the chance to see some of the footage, that the stadium is in is in Suva, I think it was in Suva or Latoka. Latoka yeah. was jumping, looked extraordinary mm-hmm. scenes, and and brilliant for the sport. And and two days afterwards, we've just we've done a little story this morning about the, the Lions tour schedule in 2025 is set to include a, a game against the Pacific Islands 15. How cool. How cool is that? Because if you imagine the Pacific Islanders have toured three times as a as a combined team, most recently in 08 when they played England. At, was that Dylan Hartley's at, at debut Twickenham. and that, wasn't it? It was, uh, it, might, it was certainly Martin Johnson's first game as England mm. coach. But if you think of the Pacific Islands combined 15 that you could pick <laughs> awesome. to take on the Lions. Mm, awesome. I mean, if they want to sell out mm. the MCG, they'll sell out the MCG <laughs> for that because you call in. I mean, a great favourite of ours, Theo McFarland, he, yeah. he could get in it. Semyon Andrandra can get in Pia it. Tau. Pia Tau. Fekitoa. Wow. I mean, wow, what a team that could be. And that, that's to come for, for the Lions in a couple of years' time. So... A well-deserved honourable mention for Mark Evans there. Will, who's your... Well, I was just going to say, there was a great tweet from Jamie Wall, who's a reporter over in New Zealand, who overnight was watching the France-England game and said, yeah, France impressive, but can they do it on a hot Saturday afternoon in La Toca? <laughs> <laughs> it was a great line. Um, I think it's got to be a Frenchman, and they, you could pick anyone, but I think both of us were sold a dummy by Dupont, where he, mm. <laughs> as well as the entire England team, where he feigned to box kick with his right foot, but realised that England thought he was going to do that and was swapping Jack Van Portfleet with Freddie Stewart. So instead, just banged it a 50-22 with his left foot. He was just taking the mickey. That was just so good. And he's 
we we thought he was having a dip. That <laughs> I'd like to have a dip like that. I mean, wow. Yeah, what I don't, a I don't know how you pick how you pick an, anyone out of that France team without because you, you could pick anyone, couldn't you? You could pick Oliver, you could pick Aldrit, Dante, who I just he made such a difference for me in that team, and mm. uh, and I know from. I went to see Sean Edwards just before Christmas and he talked about how important Jonathan Dante is to, to, that, to that France team clicking and my goodness, did he not make a difference for them. Mm. Um, so out of that France team, I'd pick him. I want to give mention to Keen Healy. I uh, just love what he did coming on, no fuss, sorted out the you know one scrum penalties and, and a hooker. Brilliant. James Lowe was outstanding. Just so many wonderful performances, but uh, I'm going to give it to, to Jonathan Dante because he seemed to me to be the guy who just took France his presence alone helped take France to another level and produce one of the great the great performances um gents we'll be back in a week's time to review the final round of the Six Nations Championship um we all think it'll be a grand slam uh, to, to be discussed we, we shall wait and see but Steve Will everyone listening thanks very much for joining us and we'll be back in a week's time Thanks for listening to the Ruck Podcast. We're delighted to be teaming up with Funding Circle. And Funding Circle Ambassador Jamie George is with me. All right, Jamie? Hello. Hello. How are you? All good. Good, good. So away from Saracens and England duty, you are a business owner. And Funding Circle is a huge supporter of small and medium-sized UK businesses. How have they helped you? Yeah, so uh, I've got a business with a friend of mine. It's a physiotherapy business, effectively delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. And we've been looking to expand and grow the business as quickly as we can. And with the financial products that Funding Circle have done, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses with access to the finance they need to grow since 2010. And they know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive and a good team supporting you. If you want to invest in your business and take your team to the next level, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Jamie, can you do the honours? Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations Tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get the team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus, drinkaware.co.uk. 